the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Amin Tais. Ijtihad, from the same Arabic root as jihad, both connoting the exertion of effort, a struggle to be endured. I will devote an upcoming episode to the controversial but central Islamic concept of jihad, but today we will be looking briefly at ijtihad, an intellectual struggle to find a solution, to locate a correct answer. This term has been used in different ways within the history of Islam. Today, it is widely used by those seeking reform within Muslim communities to describe their attempt to rethink this or that aspect of Islam. Because of the multiplicity of voices and approaches that tie themselves to the term ijtihad, it has become a somewhat elastic concept that might create confusion as to who is doing what exactly. I will spend plenty of time discussing the complexities of the Muslim encounter with European modernity and the intellectual challenges that stemmed from that encounter, a process that helped stretch the concept of ijtihad into many directions. Today, however, I am mostly concerned with the concept of ijtihad and what it meant in the context of the elaboration of Islamic law in the pre-modern era. Interestingly, the rather generic meaning of the term ijtihad was also characteristic of the early period of Islam. Ijtihad was rather spontaneous and seemingly quite free. Muslim authors recorded many reports of early forms of ijtihad by prominent Muslims, particularly early caliphs who did not shy away from taking bold decisions and establishing precedents that had no direct basis in the Quran or that even contradicted the Quran's literal meaning. Possibly, seeing those decisions as part of the living sunnah of the community. But, with the transformation of the community into a large empire, with the rise of a class of religious specialists that battled the later caliphs and rulers and ultimately won that battle over the locus of religious authority, and with the rise at the hands of those religious scholars of a more or less formal methodology, the term ijtihad came to gain a technical meaning. Therefore, ijtihad in the context of Islamic law 
can be defined as the intellectual effort exerted by a qualified jurist to derive legal rulings from the textual sources, the Quran and the Hadith, using valid interpretative tools. Let me repeat that one more time. Ijtihad, in the context of Islamic law, can be defined as the intellectual effort exerted by a qualified jurist to derive legal rulings from the textual sources, the Quran and the Hadith, using valid interpretative tools. A jurist practicing ijtihad is called a mujtahid. And the tool most used by the mujtahid is that of qiyas, often translated as analogy or analogical reasoning, but that in fact develops over time to encompass other forms of reasoning. In a way, qiyas seeks to retain the early, more fluid ijtihad ar-ra'i that we discussed in a previous episode, in order to keep the door open for dealing with the ever-changing circumstances of the Muslim communities, but at the same time, Qiyas wants to tie that ijtihad to the text and to not allow Muslim rationalists to empower human reason at the expense of the scriptural texts of the Quran and Hadith. At a most basic level, Qiyas functions this way. There is, number one, an asl, a foundational text establishing a legal ruling or a hukm. Number two, there is a illa. Think of it as the reason that led to the establishment of the legal ruling. Sometimes illa is mentioned in the text, the scriptural text itself, but often it is not, and must be then derived by the jurist's intellectual effort. Number three, there is a fara, the branch, meaning the case for which a ruling needs to be found, what occurs is a sort of extension of the legal ruling, the hukm, from the foundational text, the asl, to the new case, the fara, because they share the same illa. An example of this basic form of qiyas is the prohibition of alcoholic beverages. Some Quranic verses condemn the consumption of khamr, a fuzzy Arabic term that likely means fermented grape juice. The majority of, although not all, Muslim jurists read those verses to have ultimately forbidden the consumption of all alcoholic beverages on Muslims. How? Based on the illa. They argued that the illa of the prohibition of khamr is that it leads to intoxication. Therefore, when the jurist considers whiskey, for example, he would note that it shares the illa of the khamr prohibition because it leads to intoxication. 
Thus, the jurist who used his process of qiyas, choosing that particular illah, would reach the conclusion that whiskey is legally forbidden for Muslims to consume. Now, this is not our subject today, but remember that this is a scholarly exercise. In practice, many Muslims have, throughout history, broken this prohibition and have consumed alcoholic beverages. I mention this here just to remind the listener that it is always highly problematic to perceive average Muslims as robots who blindly follow the rulings established by the religious experts. But I digress. The main point that I'm trying to make here is that Qiyas became the foremost tool to practice ijtihad as Muslim jurists developed their methodology and an orthodoxy slowly imposed itself in the world of Islam. All four Sunni schools of law utilized Qiyas, although many in the Hanbali school, the closest school to the original Ahl al-Hadith that we discussed in a previous episode, remained rather skeptical of Qiyas or rejected its use altogether. In upcoming episodes, we will take a look at other interpretative tools used by jurists to practice ijtihad. Thank you for listening. I leave you in peace.